Well, so what do models have to do with our lesson today? I want you to open in your Bibles to Mark chapter 14. We're going to be looking at two pictures, two models, if you will, that I believe can change our life. When I was little, I would love putting together model airplanes and model cars But if you've ever done something like that and you're using model glue, it can be really hard, especially if you have like 200 pieces and some of them are so small you can barely hold them with your fingers. And so what I would do is I would get some tweezers and even then I would still manage to get glue all over my fingers and all over my model airplane or car and it was so hard. Just a couple of months ago, Rusty and I put together a model car. It was a Dodge Challenger. And it had only 45 pieces, but some of them were really small. And can I just be really honest with you? In putting this model together, Rusty did a super job. But there were times in which the pieces were so small and he would get glue on his fingers. I said, you know what, let Rusty here, if you want, I can try and do that. But his car to this day still does not have passenger and driver mirrors because they were absolutely impossible to put on. I kept getting glue on my fingers and I would put it on and i say, there we go. And I would take it off and they would stick to my fingers. So we just gave up. But Rusty, you did a super job on that model. Models are really cool. I love models. We're going to be looking right now, as I read this passage, we're going to be looking at this model. And as I said, they're actually two pictures of something that I believe have the potential to change your life. Are you there with me? Mark chapter 14, verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way. They were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him, but not during the feast, they said, where the people may riot. Verse 3, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Listen to this. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I want to ask us a question. When did this anointing take place? When did this anointing take place? Well, it tells us in the text that one, excuse me, two days before the Passover. Now, the Passover actually lasts for one day. It always falls on the 15th of Nisan. 
Now, it has nothing to do with the car, by the way. On the 15th of Nisan, that would be the Passover. It would start the evening before. This particular Passover was on a Friday. Not all Passovers are on Friday, but this one was. So it would start Thursday evening. And tradition tells us that they would take the Passover lamb and they would, each family, they would kill the lamb and prepare it Thursday afternoon. So that for Thursday evening, at least this particular Passover, they would be able to eat it. So that Passover then occurred on a Friday, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread began the next day and lasted for seven days. It would remind them of their journey or exodus out of Egypt in which they did not have yeast to be able to make the bread. They had to make it in a hurry, and they killed the Passover lamb. You may remember putting the blood over the doorway so that the death angel that was bringing the plague would pass over them so that none of their children died. And the judgment of God only fell on the Egyptians. So this is Passover. This is the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We are actually during this week prior to the Passover. And then this then would point it to a, it's two days away. And it would point to Tuesday night. So as we're reading through this text, it appears that this anointing took place on Tuesday night. However, let me read something to you. And you're going to see my point in just a moment, okay? I'm not going to, I don't want to trivialize this because it's not. All right, you'll see why. Here's what John 12, and, and it's John 12, verse 1, verse through verse, uh, what is it, verse uh, 8. It talks about the very same story, except it gives us some, some names. The one anointing, her name is Mary. We know Mary because in the previous chapter, it was her brother Lazarus that was raised from the dead. Let me read this passage to you. It says, six days before the Passover, so that would give us about Friday, maybe Saturday night, depending on how you count the days. Sometimes they counted that day, or sometimes they started with the next day in counting, so it could be Friday or Saturday. We're not quite sure. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, their hometown was Bethany. They now arrive whom Jesus had raised from the dead, Lazarus. Verse 2, here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So everybody knew what Mary was doing, even the servants perhaps in the kitchen or upstairs or somewhere else, in the, they could smell the perfume and they would go down and, and they would see this act of devotion, pouring this perfume on. And she was, it says here that she would, she undid her hair and she wiped, used her hair to wipe Jesus's feet. Then it says in verse 12, the next day, the crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. This is commonly called Palm Sunday. So the next day, now it would seem it's the next day after the anointing, though it's, it's possible it's just the next day after he arrives in Bethany, and while he's in Bethany, Mary anoints her. So here is my question. Was Jesus anointed by Mary Saturday night, or was she anoint, did she anoint him on Tuesday night? Because if you look at the text, Matthew and Mark say while he was in Bethany. Look there. Math, while he was in, in Bethany, verse 3. 
But Mark, John doesn't clearly tell us either. Now, I've, I've kind of tricked you a bit. I've kind of set you up because the truth is when Jesus was anointed is irrelevant. Matthew, Mark, Luke doesn't record this. Matthew, Mark, and John do not tell us exactly when. Okay? But, so why am I even asking this question? Because the real question is not when, but the real, real question is why does Mark include this story? I'll be honest with you, I lean a little bit more towards the concept that the woman anointed Jesus head and feet Saturday night. So why would Mark tell us this? I want you to see something here. What we have here in this text, in, in Mark chapter 14, are two pictures. There are two pictures that contrast with one another. Here's what we know for certain. Regardless of what day Jesus was anointed, what we do know is that Tuesday night, two days before the Passover, we know for sure that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were wanting to arrest Jesus and kill him. And then we have this picture, another picture, of this complete act of devotion from Mary. And then at the very end, look at the very end, verse 12. It says, I'm sorry, is it verse 12? I'm trying to remember the exact verse, 10. Uh, verse 10, there we go. Verse 10, Judas Iscariot actually betrays Jesus, we learn, for 30 pieces of silver. So what we do know for sure is that at the beginning of what Mark is telling us is, and at the end of what I read, we see the chief priests wanting to kill Jesus and we see Judas wanting to betray him. And in between, sandwiched in between, we have a very strong contrast of devotion from Mary. And we're going to need to see this contrast right now. So let's kind of walk through it a little bit. Because if you've, if you've ever looked at a wall, for ex, just for, as an example, an illustration, and it appeared white, you would, you would remark, well, that wall looks very white. But then you grabbed a white piece of paper and put it up to, you, to it, and you realize just how dark it really was, like a cream color, and it really wasn't white at all. So when we're able to contrast something, like, we're, like what Mark and Matthew do here, we're going to be able to see just the the measure of betrayal that's in Judah's heart and the measure of devotion that's in Mary's part. And I'm going to conclude by focusing on what Mary did as, with this act of devotion. Now, I, I do believe that Mark has kind of taken this act of Mary and sandwiched it between the act of betrayal from the le religious leaders and Judas because when you read John, excuse me, Luke... He does not have this anointing, and he actually goes from Mark 14, verse 2, to Mark 14, verse 10. And he even says, then Satan entered Judas, and he betrayed Jesus. He went to the chief priest to betray him. Can I ask a question? Why would Judas betray Jesus? Why would he do something that was so unexpected, so 
horrifying. He, see, Judas was one of the 12. Judas was one of those guys that when he was set out two by two with the, with the, uh, with the others, the other uh, the, of the apostles, just like them, he laid hands on the sick and they were healed. Just like them, he preached the gospel and people repented. Just like them, he followed Jesus. Just like them, he made declarations that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. So why here? What what has happened in Judas's heart that he would even think of betraying Jesus? Now, we know just two nights later, Thursday night, while they were gathered in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays by himself. Judas comes up and betrays him with the kiss. Let's understand, in John, we are told, John chapter 12, we're told that Judas was the keeper of the money bag, and he regularly put his hand into that money bag to take money that did not belong to him. It was money that they would use either to give to the poor or to meet their own needs. So we get a picture already that Judas is one of those guys. I mean, he was chosen to do this probably because he was good with money. But he was a thief. Already we get a picture of a man's heart that with his words and maybe some with his actions, he was going to follow Jesus, but his heart was far from Jesus. Okay, so his character, his heart was not devoted like the others were. And then, as we've gone through Mark, we know this, that Jesus had been talking more and more about the fact that he would be betrayed, that he would be turned over to the religious leaders of the day, that he would be crucified, which means he would die, but on the third day be raised. And remember, at this point, they still did not understand, what, what do you mean, raised from the dead? They didn't understand this concept. So ever since the Mount of Transfiguration, we don't know exactly how long ago that was, but several times Jesus reminded them of this. If you were Judas, and you're thinking, you know what, I'm going to follow this guy. He's eventually going to bring worldwide peace. The Jews are going to be raised up as the nation, the race. The kingdom of God is going to be here in Jerusalem All nations will stream into this physical kingdom in Jerusalem. And this was the typical Jewish mindset. And Judas was no different. And now Jesus is talking about dying? Maybe Jesus is confused. But then, here's an opportunity for for Jesus when the religious leaders are doing their Q&A. Remember that? And they keep asking him questions, trying to trap him in his words. What's the greatest commandment? You know, really tried to come across religious. And it was only to set him up to say something that would allow them to accuse him, arrest him, and hopefully have him killed. Jesus, in, in Judas's mind, Jesus didn't do too well with this Q&A. Because he only got the religious and political leaders more angry. So if you're Judas, you're thinking, why am I following Jesus? What is going on here? And in the chapter before, we read that he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, 
in the destruction of Jerusalem, that would mean that if Jerusalem is destroyed, that that generation would see Jerusalem destroyed? How is Jerusalem going to become the hub of the kingdom of God? And Judas is kind of thinking, I don't need to be following this guy. He is not who he said he was. Doubts filling his mind. And then finally, Jesus begins talking about when he's going to come again, when he's going to return. Hey, if he's going to come again, then that means he has to first do what? Leave. So he's not only going to die, but he's going to leave. And Judas is disillusioned. This is not going according to plan. And Judas was an opportunist. And his heart, being a thief, he wants to take opportunity. He wants to use Jesus as a means to an end. You know, as we think about Judas and how he betrayed Jesus, I know for me personally, when I was raised in a Christian home, I saw Jesus as a means to an end. I saw Jesus as me going to church and being religious. That looked good to my friends at, at, at church. Looked good to my family. You know, at least Michael's doing the right thing. Maybe I would get in less trouble, right? But the truth is, I used Jesus to kind of show them this plastic image or veneered image of who I really was not. And that's what Judas was doing the whole time. His heart was corrupt. He was a thief. And now, when the hard times come, we get to peer into his heart. And we realize this man's heart is so far from Jesus. And the others, see, they were willing to follow him. Now, sometimes I think we can use that Christian veneer, even as Christians, true, genuine Christians. We can kind of use Jesus as a veneer to fool people, or at least let them think that we're so wonderful Whereas, you know what, maybe, maybe not so much so. I, I was given a, a T-shirt some time ago. And so, you know, I, I don't wear this one. And it says, y'all need Jesus. And, and the reason why I choose not to wear this one is only because if I were to walk around like a billboard, y'all need Jesus, what am I really trying to say? <laughs> I mean, it's true they need Jesus, but maybe I could tell them in a different way rather than y'all need Jesus. But I tell you what, it makes me look kind of good, doesn't it? See, I follow Jesus. But the truth is, maybe, I know for me this was the case, maybe we can say we follow Jesus with our little Jesus t-shirt, but the truth is maybe our heart says otherwise. I remember some time ago, when we were getting our place ready here, we, I needed to have a, a sign done outside, you know, the Powerline Church uh, sign out front on the building. And so I made a few phone calls, and I saw one advertised, and it had a fish on it. 
So I just thought, well, maybe this guy is a good guy to deal with. He's got a fish on it, right? And his fish being a symbol of a Christian. So I called him. And he, he, he was, and he, this was his business. He was very much involved in a particular ministry. And as I began to talk with him, I, I, I be, actually started becoming uncomfortable. And he was talking to me about, you know, all the things that he had done and how I would definitely not be disappointed. We would love him. He gave me a quote. The quote wasn't too bad, but it was considerably higher than another one that I had spoken with. And this other company that I'd spoken with, though they did not come out and say to me that they were Christians, in every step, they dealt with me with integrity. And they were good to their promise. They didn't veneer anything. And as this man was talking, he was telling me that the company, I I said, well, I am looking at another company. And he said, well, I tell you what, no other company is going to do better than me. And I happened to mention the company, and so he chose to take a jab at it. And being a business owner, I personally don't appreciate when others do that. And as I began to listen to him, I realized there's something not right here. And I did not like the way he was presenting himself. And he said, so having said that, and you know that I'm a Christian, I can imagine which company you're going to choose, right? He actually asked me that. And I said, sir, can I be really honest with you? I think I'm going to go with the other company. And there was about two seconds of silence. And he said, seriously? And you're a pastor? And I said, it's probably because I'm a pastor that I'm making this choice. And he was offended. And I I realized I needed to be gracious, but turn this into a teachable moment. And I just said a few things he did not like a whole lot. But the truth is, I said, I'm going with this other company because I really appreciate the way they are treating me as the way I believe Jesus would. Sometimes I think we can do this. And in, our, in, the, in the way we interact with people, we can put on our little Jesus t-shirt. And that's exactly what Judas did. Until finally, the veneer was pulled away and the corruption that was in his heart was clearly seen. Now, I want us, though, to spend the remainder of our time looking at this woman. She is an amazing example of devotion. And as we understand Judas's heart, see, Judas wasn't an atheist. Judas wasn't some, like a religious leader who condemned Jesus. Judas wasn't someone who spoke critically about Jesus to everybody. He, he was following him, but his heart was just constantly wrong. It wasn't just one time that he took money from the, the, the treasury. He said, he, John tells us he would regularly do this. And with that wide open door, his heart eventually was exposed just two nights later as he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But this woman... I want us to see here that what we have in this example, we really have a picture within a picture. We have a picture within a picture. So here's the picture of a woman's devotion to Jesus, but in that Jesus says that she is actually presenting a picture of his burial. And so she's anointing him for his burial. We call things like this prophetic acts. She was actually doing a prophetic act. Ezekiel, 
He, he was a prophet, but I'll be honest with you, he was a strange prophet. To me, when I read him, I said, wow, Lord, you just gave that guy such amazing boldness. I'm not sure I could do something like that. But he at one time, and he did many things like this, he laid on his side for 40 days to symbolize a prophetic act of what God was going to do. We even see in the New Testament prophetic acts. Remember when Jesus came to the fig tree? He cursed it. And that cursing of the fig tree was a prophetic act of how God would curse Israel as a nation just 40 years later because there was no fruit on their tree as a nation. We also see a prophetic act. Now, we didn't get into the story, but Bartimaeus. When Bartimaeus is called, he's the blind beggar. And when Jesus is leaving Jericho, he sees him and he calls to him, Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, have mercy upon me. And Jesus calls him. And listen to this. When Jesus calls him, it says, he took off his beggar's cloak and laid it aside. See, that is a prophetic act. That was a picture inside the man's heart. I am laying aside my past as a beggar, and I am going to come to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus did? He healed him. His past was his past. That was a prophetic act. And so here, the woman anointing Jesus' feet was a prophetic act. And in essence, Jesus is telling them, she's anointing my body for burial. Now, Judas was there. As a matter of fact, he was the main person, John tells us, who was rebuking the woman for using such an expensive perfume and just being so frivolous with, oh, it could be used to, you know, money to be given to the poor. Well, actually, it would fill up their coffer so that Judas could take more. That's really what his heart was about. And so this, this woman is actually giving us a picture of the burial of Jesus. Let me put it this way. She is giving us a picture of the cross, of the death of Jesus, of the gospel. Have you ever wondered as you've gone through and, or read through this story, if you had before, why would Jesus say that this story of what this woman did would go everywhere throughout the world, wherever the gospel would go? Why would that be the case? I believe it's because we have these two, a picture within a picture. The picture within the picture is the gospel. The second picture that we have is the response to the gospel, the response of devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, let's let's look at that. The first thing that we encounter is we encounter in this second picture, we see, number one, there's a high cost. How, How much did it cost her? It was worth more than a year's wages. This purinard, this spice, this perfume, worth more than a year's wage. You, you, you who work a full-time job, support a family or, 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 or yourself, living on your own, think about how much you make in a year. I want you to take all of that money that you make in a year, no, not after you have your expenses and you pay your rent or your mortgage and your insurance and all. No, 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 before all of that, a whole year's wages. And you go out and you buy some expensive perfume. Number one, I'm a little curious, why on earth would you do this? But she took, in essence, a year's worth of wages, and she extravagantly poured it out upon Jesus, poured it out upon his head, on his feet. Wow. That's a lot of money. Extravagant 
devotion. It was nothing to her. You know, I can remember for me growing up and considering following Jesus. And for several years, here was the compromise I made. I, I, I would say, you know what? Let me follow Jesus a little and let me follow the world a little. And so I had the world in one hand and Jesus in the other, so I thought. And I said, this is an amazing compromise. I can live with this. But Jesus was in essence saying, Mike, you can't. You, you can't follow the world and you can't try to follow me. And so you're going to have to make a decision. Who are you going to follow? And at 14 years of age, my brother made this so clear. Mike, follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And it's going to cost you. For the rich young ruler, the cost for him would have been everything that he owned. You know, as a Christian, I think we just constantly need to come back to this. Come back to this picture. We need pictures to challenge us. You know, if you were to go into my study, I have lighthouse theme in my study. I have a a lighthouse. This is a lighthouse. uh, One second here. This is the Jupiter Inlet. So here in Florida, Jupiter Inlet. And it's a very excellent replica of the Jupiter Inlet um, lighthouse. And I have here, this is the Assateague Lighthouse. Um, back in 1867, so it's a painting of it. And I went around my room, and I actually counted. I have about 17 or 18 pictures or models of lighthouses, and that does not include the uh, like my bedspread. This is the uh, this is what I have on my bed at uh, Pillow Sham. Several lighthouses there on the bedspread itself. If you were to look around the border, I've got. I don't know, 100 lighthouses. I, with each of my grandkids, I like to do this. As, as I, I would bring them into my study, and I would sit down on my chair, my, my business chair that swivels, and I'll just point at all the different lighthouses in there. And the reason why it, my study is decorated this way is because these pictures, these models, constantly remind me that I need to be the light of the world, that first, Jesus is the light of the world, And as he lives in me and grows in me, I am now called to be the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven, Jesus challenged his disciples. And so these, they're constant reminders. This woman is a constant reminder for me to be fully devoted to Jesus. To not try and just muster up devotion because mustering up devotion is not about doing more It's about surrendering more. And as a Christian, I realize that my heart still can be divided at times. And I'm still wanting to bring a little bit of the world along with me. And I get a picture of this woman, pure devotion. What a high cost. And the second thing is that this woman, her devotion to Jesus was absolutely underrated. She's actually rebuked. But on her part, there's no fear. People, even though they're ridiculing her, she continues to pour out the perfume, even using her hair to wipe Jesus' feet. What's interesting is that a woman in a Jewish culture would generally not let their hair down in public. 
See, that's, that would be what prostitutes do. Now, obviously, not in our culture. So that's kind of strange. But in their culture, the women kept their hair up. And so for her to let her hair down for the very purpose, though, of wiping Jesus' feet was an act of devotion in which she truly didn't care if people ridiculed her. And I just want you to know, when we're living Jesus before the world, you will be persecuted. For Judas, that cost? No, 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 no. He wanted to use Jesus as a means to an end. But for Mary, Jesus was her end. Jesus was her goal. Following him for all eternity, sacrificing whatever was necessary. Her reputation. You know what? I, I love these pictures, these models of devotion in my life. Uh, for my dad, my mom, my mom was so quiet, but she truly modeled the love of Jesus for me. Throughout my marriage, my wife modeling the love and the character and the patience of Jesus. And, and, and my aspiration was, God, I want to be a model of that. And we each need models of someone fully devoted to Jesus because it challenges us. And I'm just going to tell you right now that if what I'm talking about is making you feel guilty, I would say for, if you are playing games with Jesus, allow that guilt to then lead you to repentance. But you know what? For some of us, maybe that guilt needs to be just dispensed. Okay, because this act of devotion, if we're following after Jesus and trying to grow in him, don't allow it to turn into guilt, but allow it to turn into inspiration for you. Let it stir up something in your heart that you want to pursue Jesus even more. Even though this woman was rebuked, she did this. And I love those examples. Thirdly, we have an expression of her heart. It is not ritualistic. It is not mechanical. This is from your heart. Nobody can peer into your heart. No one can judge your heart, your attitude. Sometimes even we can't. But we are the keepers of our heart. We are the ones that stand before God. What is in your heart? Follow Jesus. And then lastly, it's interesting that this expensive perfume was in a bottle that you wouldn't just pop the cork off or unscrew the cap. You had to break it and pour it out. One-time use, all or none. You, you don't just pour a little bit and then put it back. It's everything. What a clear picture of that call of the, our response to the gospel. Our response, Jesus says, come, follow me to the rich young ruler. Give it all up and then come follow me. You know, for my brother Ken, I was on the phone with him recently. And as we were talking, I, I, I just, I told him, I said, Ken, I'm so proud of you. Because for 
all of his life, he's now 68 years old, he has made the choice to compromise. And he recognized this. And in my conversation with him, I kept hearing, Mike, I, I want to learn more about the word. I, w- I want to be able to shine Christ in my life. I want to be a witness to my wife. I want to be a, a witness to these friends of mine uh, that don't know Jesus. And I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And he actually was pulling, he bought some uh, commentaries and a study Bible. And he was sitting down and he's just trying to understand the word. And he confessed, Mike, this commentary is just so hard to understand. And I said, Ken, then get rid of it. Don't use it. Just let the spirit speak to your heart. That's okay. And, and he was relieved actually for a pastor to tell him that. And even as a pastor, I can find these commentaries so hard to understand. So you're not by yourself on that. But Ken just listened to the spirit. And, and he wanted to know about the book of Galatians and the book of Ephesians. And I, I just took a little bit of time to give him a kind of an overall picture because he was hungry. He was devoted to Jesus. He was pouring it all out. None reserved. And I want to call each of us. This is the picture of devotion, a response to the gospel The first picture is the gospel. The second is, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to follow Jesus? And if you're like me, when I was a young kid, I wanted to take the world and Jesus and think I'm okay. And Jesus says, Mike, it's all or none. Follow me. But I tell you what, I've still had a lot of growing to do. I've still had some hard decisions to make. Today, am I going to follow Jesus? No holds barred. And if I am not careful, I can get caught up in guilt. And Jesus says, Mike, don't get caught up in guilt. Just look at this amazing picture of this woman and her extravagant worship and extravagant devotion. Mike, just follow me with everything. Don't be afraid. Don't fear how people are going to view you. Extravagantly yield everything to me. I just want to ask you, do you have a model of someone who's living this way? And would you be willing to be a similar model to others? As a dad, wow, that is constantly before me when I was raising my kids, I need to model Jesus, and that is so hard. And I needed women like this, women like my wife, others, many of you, just constantly giving me pictures, pictures of the gospel and of what devotion to Jesus looks like. Can you stand with me? Let's just allow this picture of the gospel and of devotion to speak to our hearts and allow the Spirit of God to remind us of these truths. And I just want to tell you right now, today, if you are playing any kind of game, would you be willing to just set that aside and say, you know what, God? I'm just wearied by this game. I want to give you everything. Can you do that? Can you give him everything today? Father, I thank you that your grace, wow, Lord, it is so amazing. It is lavish. It is poured out upon us. 
And now we have this picture of Mary as she is returning and then just extravagantly giving of herself to Jesus, no matter the cost, all or none. Father, that's what I want. Just every day, God, give me those pictures of extravagant devotion to you, Jesus. And I ask, Father, for every single one of us, give us models and make us a model. But let's live for Jesus extravagantly. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.